And greetings. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Steve Day Show here. Brought to you by all of you. Because without you, we would not be here. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. We have a lot going on on today's show. At the bottom of this hour, Megan Basham from The Daily Wire is going to join us. She has a new piece out talking about one of the enablers, one of the culprits of COVID, Stan. Turns out the church calls were coming from inside the house over the last 30-plus months of unprecedented tyranny. We'll talk to her about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, Theology Thursday, we launch our third and final book study. We started this year with a plan to study three books to observe the spirit of the age. And we start our third and final one as we approach a the economy with a biblical worldview. Uh, we will do that coming up and start with the book that I think we did an interview on this book back in 2020, Todd, did we not? We did. We did. It's called Thank God for Bitcoin. That is the book we'll be studying as we take a look at the economy from a biblical worldview and what the spirit of the age has done to it. Uh, and then we will have three non-political questions. But with so much going on and a lot to get to, let's get right to it. Here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a turning point, and it's finally happening. Billionaire mogul Elon Musk tweets, entering Twitter HQ. Let that sink in. For those of you listening, the video he posted is of him walking into Twitter for the first time literally carrying a sink. Musk will be closing on his deal to purchase Twitter and take it private on Friday. Joe Biden says poor people and people with more melanin tend to be on the larger side. No! To take the ferry cost a nickel, and in those days, nickels had pictures of bumblebees on them. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. Whoops, wrong clip. Some airlines, if you want six more inches between you and the seat in front, you pay more money. But you don't know it until you purchase your ticket. Look, folks, these are junk fees. They're unfair, and they hit marginalized Americans the hardest, especially low-income folks. And people of color. On Monday, Biden said once again, We tried and tried, but finally we beat Big Pharma. On Tuesday, Biden said this. And if you're fully vaccinated, get one more COVID shot once a year. That's it. And if you get it, you're protected. And if you don't, you're putting yourself and other people on necessary risk. Speaking of jab 2.0, jab harder, Anthony Fauci says new data that shows they aren't any better than the old jab is an excellent reason to get jabbed again. The way that the research shows is they looked about the same. Is that disappointing news? Right. Well, if, if that is the case, it's not that disappointing because both of them work very well. So I think the jury is still out about that. But even if it turns out they're equivalent, they both did very well, which means there's no reason not to and a very good reason to get your updated booster shot. New York Times tweets, doctors and disability rights advocates said John Fetterman's debate appearance was inspiring for many disabled people and that his halting speech didn't reflect any cognitive impairment. 
Even so, some Democrats are worried voters may see it differently. The latest Rasmussen poll of Georgia finds Herschel Walker with a five-point lead over Democrat Raphael Warnock in that Senate race. A new Emerson poll of Connecticut's 5th Congressional District finds Republican George Logan leading incumbent Congresswoman Johanna Hayes 48 to 47 percent. As Steve pointed out this morning, this district went plus 11 and a half Democrat back in 2020. The newest Trafalgar poll of Oregon finds Republican Christine Drazen with a two-point lead over Democrat Tina Kotek. A new Trafalgar poll of New Mexico's gubernatorial race finds Republican Mark Ronchetti leading Democrat Michelle Grisham 46.6% to 45.5%. Listen, there is a real possibility, maybe not a high possibility, but a real possibility that on November 9th, there are only three states west of the Mississippi River, Louisiana, Washington, and California that'll have Democrat governors next year. Moving on, this happened in the New York gubernatorial debate between Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul the other night. What are we, halfway through the debate? She still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes. Okay. Anyone who commits a crime under our laws, especially with the change they made to bail, has consequences. I don't know why that's so important. Noted Young Turks lefty Cenk Uyghur tweets, L.A. is a mess. There's trash all over the roads. Cops don't respond to calls. It's close to anarchy here. Is Garcetti already in Mumbai? Is anyone running this city? Karen Bass seems to be saying she's going to maintain the status quo. She knows how to work the system. No thanks. And finally, the most honest Democrat campaign commercial you'll hear this cycle, courtesy of our own Ali Stuckey. Hi, I'm the spokesperson for the Democratic Party, and I'm here to tell you why you need to vote blue this November. It's been a crazy few years, and after getting that former guy out of office through totally legitimate means, we've finally been able to get some work done for the American people. Led by our vivacious president, the country is better off than it was before. Sure, you can't afford to feed your family, but let's take a step back and look at the big picture. The first priority for our devoutly Catholic president is to make it easier to dismember babies in the womb. Empathy. Our foreign policy has been, well, perfect. Just a few months after Joe Biden took office, America brought Afghanistan back to its tribal roots, reviving their classic culture. Some people criticize our immigration policy, which is basically to incentivize poor migrants to cross the border by refusing to enforce the law and promising them free stuff. The only way we'll change our policy is if Texas border towns keep turning red. In that case, we'll have a wall up faster than you can say, see, say Podway. You can find that entire hilarious video all over Ali Beth Stuckey's social media channels. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Tyga Coolers. We are in peak football season, which means we're in peak tailgate season. And soon, maybe for some of you, if you're a little early like me, we're already in Christmas shopping season. Maybe you're looking for the perfect cooler to go out on your tailgate. Maybe you're looking for the perfect company gift uh, for clients and more. Go to our friends at Tyga Coolers. Uh, 100% American-made pro-American company. They're fans of the Blaze just like you. They uh, share your values, laugh at the same stuff like Ali's tremendous parody there, which actually is not satirical in the least, unfortunately. Okay, um, and, and they'll give you a lifetime warranty and 10% off your cooler when you go uh, to tigacoolers.com and use the promo code Steve. T-A-I-G-A for tigacoolers.com 
And one of the ways that these make for excellent gifts, they're custom, they'll customize it for you. So if you want to make it a, a corporate logo thing for clients, for employees, they can do that. You want to put your kid's picture on there because you're following him or her around uh, during the sports season. They can do that for you as well and more. TaigaCoolers.com, T-A-I-G-A, promo code Steve for 10% off. All right, coming up in the overtime today, we're going to be rejoined by our old friend, Kurt Schilling's going to join us. This little event called the World Series is uh, starting up here shortly. So why not get uh, some analysis from one of the greatest World Series pitchers of all time? And I'm sure he might have a thing or two to say about what's happening in the country as well. So Kurt Schilling will be Hall of Famer. Uh, He'll be joining us here in the overtime today for Blaze TV subscribers. Go to blazetv.com slash Dace if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and would like to become one. And that is also where you will be able to watch it later today. We're going to record it right after today's show. You'll be able to watch it at blazetv.com slash Dace. All right, to the uh, montage we go. I want to start with the, uh, the fifth district in Connecticut that Aaron mentioned in his montage. Um, so as Aaron pointed out, this is a district that Democrats won by just under 12 points, 11.5 in 2020. And, and that was a year that was favorable to Republicans, despite the, uh, the thievery, uh, that occurred at the top. Republicans still picked up 14 house seats across the country. So this was a year that was favorable to Republicans, And Democrats still won this district by double digits. Remember, I told you, actually, a while ago now, it's been a couple of months, that if you are a Democrat in anything less than a plus 10 district, you're in trouble. Remember me saying this? I mean, this was probably a couple months ago that I said this. If you were anything other than plus 10, you were in trouble. If you are anything less than plus 5 statewide, you are in trouble. Okay? So this was a plus 11.5 in a year that, from a House perspective, was fairly favorable to the GOP. There's another nugget about this district that I think needs to be highlighted here. This district, Connecticut 5, is also 21% Hispanic. Nationwide Hispanics are, depending on the year and the survey you look at, anywhere from 12 to 14% of the American uh, American population or electorate. So you're talking about a district that is what, doing the math off the top of my head, 30, 40%, somewhere in there, more Hispanic than the country writ large. I think that's the number to look at. The idea that a Republican could win a district that was 21% Hispanic wasn't even on the table in a lot of places. Well, you know, and it, it may be in a Texas where you have um, long cultural ties of social conservatism in some areas of the <clears throat> Hispanic community. If we're counting Cubans as Hispanics, you know, the whole thing, what's a Latino, what's a Cuban, what's a Hispanic, how those get determined and labeled, <clears throat> pardon me, in Florida where there's a unique uh, demographic there, of course, of Cuban either immigrants or exiles or refugees, but outside of a couple of places like that, like the the idea that a Republican was going to win a, a, a 21% Hispanic district in like a Colorado. No way. No way. And so that cannot be ignored because I think that's the factor in that race. 
Now, it should also be pointed out, if Democrats are defending Connecticut 5 with 12 days to go, <clears throat> I think I got it that time. If they're defending Connecticut 5 with 12 days to go, that gives you an idea of the momentum on this map. We have reached the next level of threat. And Hispanic voters are going to drive a lot of this. That's the reason I flipped Colorado red. It is the one state, swing state in the country, that its urban centers are actually more Hispanic than black. And what's also fascinating, guys, if you look at real clear politics, so a few weeks ago on the show, we debuted a new thing on the program that I've not brought up since, and there's a reason for it. All right. Um, I think it, we called it the, the proven pollster polling average. We got rid of the polls that over the last few cycles showed they were either no longer interested in honesty or just weren't any good at identifying MAGA voters in this new environment that we are in. And no, that wasn't just, you know, uh, the, the polls on the right that we share within our own echo chambers like Trafalgar and Rasmussen. There's other pollsters in there, Investors Business Daily, uh, Emerson College. So it, it wasn't just them. There were other pollsters, not many, but there were others that also uh, proved to be very uh, accurate and reliable in this era, but they were few and far between. And so we, we announced we were going to do our own proven pollster polling average. Here's why I've not updated, not updated it for you since. Just a few days after we announced that on the show here, Real Clear Politics announced its own polling accountability project. That they were going to start making adjustments to, to their own polling average based on the record of success and integrity of the polls within the Real Clear Politics polling average. If you go back in, in 2020, 16 polls made up the Real Clear Politics polling average. In a presidential election, when the two candidates have a 100-plus percent name ID, everybody knows who they are. High turnout elections, which means it's actually easier in a higher turnout election to determine who's going to come out and actually vote. Um, on average, the 16 polls within the Real Clear Politics polling average missed the outcome of the 2020 election by almost five points on average. Almost five. 4.73, which means they were way outside their margins of error. Well, Steve, what about the battleground state? It was actually worse. The battleground state polling of the polls in the Real Clear Politics polling average were even worse. So, you know, maybe you can, you can choose to believe these people all got just really bad at this systematically at the exact same time. Do you believe that? No. No, you don't believe that. I do not. Which would leave us with the other more nefarious option. They got really good at it, brother, if you know what I'm saying. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to believe it's the latter. I think they just got really good at what That's they were. That's my default position. Yeah, they just got really good at it. Not bad at all. They were doing exactly what they intended. Well, thankfully, the folks over at Real Clear Politics were paying attention to this because, I mean, the last thing I needed to do was one more thing on my to-do list. Right. So there's not been much of a need for me to keep that updated since I announced it because they are adjusting their own polling mechanism. For example, if you go to the projected governor map 
at Real Clear Politics today. It's almost exactly mine. Mine's 3317. Theirs is 3119. The difference is I've got Colorado red and Pennsylvania red. But Michigan, everywhere else, they agree with me on that. Funny how that works. I'm not just pulling stuff out of my keister. I was on with Glenn, our, with our patriarch, Glenn Beck, this morning. He's like, all right, man, sing to me, Steve. You are, you are, you're, you're Mr. Optimism. I'm like, that's one of the meanest things ever, anyone's ever said to me. You take that back, <laughs> yes. Glenn Beck. Yes. That crosses a line, sir. Todd, you've known me for about 20 years. The last time someone said, all right, Steve's here. Finally, some optimism. Rosie Optimist? No. Yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm a realist. That's it. And funny how, when we look at actual data and not the made-up kind for the advancement of a political narrative, funny how it looks very close to what I am projecting. Because I'm not just tossing things out there. If you, if you are a loyal viewer or listener to this program, you know it can be challenging. Because I in no way, shape, or form look for opportunities to pet you. If anything, if I fear we are getting into that territory, I will come up with something needlessly divisive just to make sure we all know where we stand here. All right? I don't care about any of that. I would prefer you agree with me. I would prefer you would like me. But I'll live with it if you don't. Won't change my opinion one bit. You'll have to show that what you believe is better than what I do to get it to change. And if you do that, I'll change my opinion. I've done that. You've seen that too. Sure. But you have to show that what you believe is superior to what I believe. I won't change my opinion in any way, shape, or form to cater to a single one of you. Ever. Won't ever happen. I couldn't do it if I tried. It's just, ask my wife. It's really not, even when it would behoove me to do it, even when it benefit me to do it, even with people I care about, I can't do it, let alone with people like many of you I've never even met. So no, I don't do that. I'm not bringing you... Op- uh, optimum here. I'm just telling you the reality is they're getting wiped out. I mean, they're trying to claim that the economy rebounded in the third quarter to 2.6%. Is that like even news right now? Did you even know that before I said it? Had you even heard that? That was the that was the third quarter economic projection this morning, 2.6% growth. I had not heard that. Yeah. What does that tell you? They're so bombarded. They can't even posit a narrative. I mean, they're, they're left, we're 12 days out. They're left to say mental disability is totes legit and cool for a candidate. It's over. This thing is over. We are seriously over. We are just debating what the scope will be. But it's over. Like, it's, the, it's after Blake Corum's long touchdown run against Penn State the other day. It was only 31 to 17, but the game was over. Penn State knew it was over. Fans knew it over. You're watching on TV. You knew it was over. We were just going to play out the string to see what the final score would it be. Would it be 31-17, 34-17, 41-17? Would Penn State score a touchdown in the end against the backups? But it, the game was over. Penn State's starting quarterback basically pulled himself out of the game shortly thereafter. It was over. This thing's over. What we're figuring out now is what's the final tally going to be? What's the final score going to be? And I'll tell you, a guy that I have known for a long time uh, in this business, I've worked with in this business, 
uh, a, a pollster by the name of Rick Shafton, who tends to work with the kinds of candidates that I support. That's how we got to know one another. He thinks it is possible that Lee Zeldin not only wins. He sent this to me today. He thinks it is possible that Lee Zeldin not only wins in New York, but that he could win by four points or more. And he, and he said, if that were to happen, the consequences of that further down the ballot across the state of New York would be cataclysmic for the Democrats. That, and that's, that's one of the cornerstones of their blue wall, obviously. I mean, the two towers, their Isengard and Mordor are essentially New York and California, right? And you would, you would watch that fall, basically. So, gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, you've been parked here for so long that I just keep thinking about what this means for the next two years. Again, I'll just say it until you change your mind, Steve, I'll, because of what Steve is saying, this is the most important election of our lifetime. I used your line on Beck's show this morning, that sanity is basically on the ballot. Yes. And, and one of the things that made me think about you saying that is I woke up this morning and, and I saw that Adam Kinzinger, who's the new prime minister of the UK, you know, they tried Lisa Murkowski. She didn't work. They tried uh, Mitt Romney. That didn't work. Right. So now they're trying Adam Kinzinger. He's going to announce today or tomorrow, apparently, that they're going to ban fracking in the country. Now, have, have we not allegedly been at war with Russia since February? Yes. OK. It, any other period in human history, Todd, we would have had to lobby governments not to strip right. mine their resources to win a war, right? right? We now have to get them to use their resources to win a war. Standing up to Putin is we give him more dominion over the world's energy supply. I mean, the EU's already did it to itself. We're doing it to ourselves now. Now the UK, which broke away from the EU, now they're saying, hey, we're going to stop fracking too. We're just going to, we're going to give Russia even more dominion over the world's energy supply. That's not... That is not sane. No. It's not sane. You're right what you said the other day. Sanity is literally on the ballot here. And that's why doing anything other than resetting that, no matter how much pain it causes, and it will cause pain because, again, uh, we don't know exactly where the line of demarcation is. Yes, there are some people who um, are surprised by... Uh, what's going on in Oregon and in New York, that even those strongholds are lost. But there are others. This was the intent all along. They, they wanted to break things so badly because they hate the things of this country, and they wanted to break them so bad that nothing a feckless Republican could do. Not only would they be able to fix it, but they'd look so weak that they, they, there would have to be no lessons learned in two years, in four years, that we would have gone off the cliff now. So that's what is desperately important. We are a different people moving forward. We have sobered up. We can no longer think that a country, even one with these resources uh, and with this level of comfort and with a constitutional uh, created on the most noble creed imaginable to man can indefinitely be on autopilot. We must do the work. We must become citizens once again. Listen, I'm as cynical as anyone when it comes, especially when it comes to the Republican Party. And that's saying something, being that this is a show that features Daniel Horowitz every week and is hosted by somebody named Steve Dix. So that, that is saying something. 
I'm cynical. I have low expectations for them as a default position. With that being said, I, and then also this, I'm not voting for Chuck Grassley. I'm not voting for our, my, my district's U.S. representative, both Republicans. Just not going to do it. They haven't earned my vote. Having said all that, though, it is the fourth quarter. There's about eight minutes left. We're down by 16 points. We need two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. The odds of that happening is really, really low. But guess what the odds are if you don't get a stop and like a three and out right now? Lower. Even lower than that. <laughs> Maybe zero. Yeah. So I see this as getting a three and out. You know what? There's still a long hill to go. The odds are still stacked against us, but there's, there might be no hope. Might not actually be any hope unless, you know, three interceptions or something stupid like that. Or the Detroit Lions start, uh, you know, putting on uh, uh, jerseys on the other side of the ball. All that is to say, the, uh, the, there's still an uphill climb after this. But to, you don't even get to have the uphill climb if we don't... If, if, if something doesn't change seismically here in about 12, 13 days. If this were a normal red wave election, I'd cover it because I have a skill set that not a lot of other people in our business do. And I get paid to use that skill set. And it would be dereliction of my duty as a host to not give you access to it to cover the election. But I would be covering it largely as just a professional obligation. I am personally invested in this outcome because there are factors at play here that do not make this a typical election. A new demographic willing to break away from the Democratic Party and, and not just stay home because they didn't get the subsidy they wanted or there's just too much, um, there's just too much uh, junk in the cultural trunk. No, they're actually willing to affirmatively move in the other direction to defeat stuff talking about Hispanics, that interests me greatly to see that. The, the issues that are causing these things to happen are of an existential nature beyond typical ec- economic sluggishness. I'd also be in dereliction of my duty as a believer if I didn't enthusiastically take part in that process. I'm cynical, as Aaron said. I would have very low expectations, particularly when it comes to Washington, of what will happen as a result of all of this next year. I've got a bunch of you emailing me about, you know, a pissing contest between DeSantis and Trump. We got all next year to get into that stuff. Right now, right now, there is a rising tsunami of people who are seeking to punish the level of depravity, debauchery, and deconstruction that these Democrats have have foisted upon us. We can get into all that other stuff later on. It won't be like there won't be plenty of time to get into it. But right now, who knows? Who knows if Aragorn can be a good king? Who knows? Here's what we do know. The black gate is open. There are masses of forces that have assembled to oppose what is coming out. Worry about what's going to happen if you win after you actually do. Finish the race. 
You're Luke Skywalker in the Death Star Trench. Stay on target. What's driving this is a resounding rejection of cultural calamity. We would absolutely be foolish to not join in letting that play out and focus on letting it play out before we got distracted by what may come later on. Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading its grain. There's a lot of people that aren't as involved and informed about these things as we are that are getting that way, aren't aren't really as intimately knowledgeable of the duopolistic practices and the betrayals that go along with it as we have chronicled on shows like this day after day after day. What they know also is that the black gate has been opened and they say we all they know is we have to stop what is coming out. Join them in stopping it. Sufficient is the battle for today. There will be plenty of other battles to wage tomorrow. But sufficient is the battle for today and there is an opportunity here emerging to resoundingly win that battle. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's filled with hope. It's more than just makes sense. And we're in short supply of that yeah. right now. So do I have a hope in, in a lot of the people that we're going to vote in place of what's in there? No. But I have hope in the people that are rising up to place those That votes. is well said. I don't think it would be wise to do anything to dispel that energy. A new birth of freedom. Yes. We'll come back. Megan Basham's going to join us. Turns out, one of the great collaborators of COVID, Stan, the very institution that is on this earth to oppose forces like it, the church. We'll get into that next. Unfortunately, there are not too many places that you can do business with that don't hate you, uh, especially if you need to do business with a national outlet. That's why when the option presents itself that you can do business with a company that doesn't hate you and actually shares your values, take full advantage of it. And thankfully, one of the places where we can do that is with a product that we all pretty much have to use. Of course, I'm talking about our mobile phones and our friends over at Patriot Mobile. I know what you're thinking. Oh, gosh, I can't. It's just a hassle to make the switch. We did the I did that, too. I waited years. We, we talked about Patreon Mobile on the show for years before I finally made the switch. Final straw is when T-Mobile said they're going to start screening text messages for COVID misinformation. That was like, all right, tapping out. I can't do it anymore. I don't care how much of a hassle this is. I've got to salvage whatever shred of integrity I have left and get out of here. So we made the switch. It was about a year ago. We have not looked back. They did a great job. They made the switch as seamless as absolutely possible. And I've heard from so many of you that they did that for you too. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know when you go to make a switch and they will get you even better savings is a way of saying thank you for your service and for the rest of us. How about a free activation when you make the switch with your personal or business account? They do business accounts as well. When you go to make this, when you go to make the switch at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Again, that is patriotmobile.com slash Steve, or you can just call them <clears throat> right now if you're driving and you can't, uh, you know, get online or text, just dial 972-PATRIOT. Get a hold of them right now, 972-PATRIOT. Well, I was reading this during the break on my phone, and I wish I could say I was surprised by any of this, but I am not. There, there, there are reasons why 
The church is nowhere to be found except for a few exceptions in any of these major battles. Church people are to be found, but the church institutionally is MIA. Here's a headline from the Daily Wire. How church leaders aligned with Fauci to discredit experts opposed to COVID mandates. It's author, friend of the show, Megan Basham. Good to have you back, Megan. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I always love being here. And we always love how you come to disappoint us yet again with yet another <laughs> tale of woe and lamentation and betrayal from the very institution. Yes, from the very institution that's supposed to go to the ends of the earth on our behalf, but instead often ends up playing simp for the very spirit of the age it was supposed to oppose. Give us the grisly details on this one, Megan. Yeah, I'm sorry to always have to be the bearer of bad news. Um, But to be fair, we really do need to do some sort of accountability Mm -hmm. uh, research here and look back at what happened over the last two years and the part that the church played in that. Um, And I think the very first appearance I made on this show was back in February uh, with a fairly large report about Francis Collins, former head of the NIH Mm. and current uh, top Biden science advisor, and how he was platformed by a lot of evangelical leaders to um, convince churches, to convince Christians, to get vaccinated, to abide by lockdowns, to wear their masks, all of those things, all of those regulations and um, government control that we all remember. Well, um, just a couple of weeks ago, it it actually came up on Twitter. Uh, Some some Twitter researchers, investigators found it. I I won't claim credit for this because I actually did not see this document when I first did my reporting on this. Well, so these, um, these, these Twitter investigators dug up a pledge from BioLogos, which is an organization that Francis Collins founded in 2007 ostensibly to build bridges between Christians, between the church and scientists. Mm -hmm. Uh, The feeling was that Christians are very hostile to science. They don't trust the science. And so this organization was founded to try to start changing that. Um, And of course, we saw what happened. Um, It does a lot of things. One of the things it does is um, sort of justify believing Darwinian evolution. Um, It pushes the idea of there not being a um, actual atom, a real atom. They kind of push this idea that there's there were hominids that evolved, and uh, that is sort of how the Genesis myth originated. So some things that theologically I, I find very troubling. But in 2020, this document that they put out was called Love Your Neighbor, Get the Shot. Hmm. And it was a pledge that asked for various Christian leaders to sign it. And what it said was, um, one, obviously, get the shot. It said that this vaccine is a gift from God. Hmm. Uh, But it also said that the signers would pledge to oppose non-consensus science. And it talked specifically about Anthony Fauci. And it said that Anthony Fauci is a trusted scientist and that Christians should listen to him. And along with that, so along with promising to trust Anthony Fauci's science, the document asked the people who signed it to pledge to fight misinformation from non-consensus conspiracy theory sources. So if you'll remember at that time, behind the scenes, Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins were working to 
suppress and censor some of those, and also discredit some of those non-consensus scientists. Um, some of them were at Stanford, at Harvard, at Oxford. Real rogue institutions, yes. JUCOs. Exactly. Any, you know, exactly. any, 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 you know uh, uh, slapstick can get into these schools. They just hand out degrees, you know, like Carter has pills. Yes, of course. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, very fringe organizations there. Um, so these scientists put out something called, if you'll remember, the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm -hmm. And that document actually, also arguing from science, said, hey, maybe we shouldn't lock down all of society. Maybe we should not have these mask mandates and lockdowns and shut churches. Maybe what we should do is um, target our care toward the, more, the most vulnerable. And so um, that those were the two things that were going on. So the people who signed this pledge included uh, N.T. Wright, theologian, a uh, number of seminary heads, VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, um, Phil Yancey, which that one really hurt because I, I like Philip Yancey, uh, who is a very influence, influential Christian author, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, very influential with Christian women. So people like that, and they signed this document basically pledging, we will support Anthony Fauci's science, and we will try to suppress this non-consensus science coming from these other sources. Megan, there's a common thread here, and you're younger than me, so you weren't, you know, when I kind of came of age in this industry slash movement is when we were, you know, going to have a, uh, a Christian conversation about the environment and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of glom on to that, okay, fad. Um, the open borders fad, you're probably old enough to remember that. That's kind of where Russell Moore gained a lot of his fame was glomming onto the open borders fad. There's there's now the the science and the medicine fad. Um, what is it? What is it? What it? Tell me what is sola scriptura about an affinity for lining up non skeptically with whatever new next current thing the world comes up with as opposed to testing the spirits. And, and, and what are these elements within American evangelicalism that just push to be instant simps without any cross-examination whatsoever of the claims that the world system throws at us all the time on various issues? Well, you know, I see that too. I see exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm probably not that much younger than you, than you think. but You look um, a hell of a lot younger than me, so I just assume, but my bad, go ahead. <laughs> But I also have noticed what you're talking about with climate change. Um, for example, just to bring in another story I've been working on, um, the National Association of Evangelicals yeah. just put out a report last month, yes, talking about how um, pushing climate change, lobbying your legislators for fossil fuel regulation is also loving your neighbors. So there's a really wide range of things that are loving your neighbor now, including you know getting the um, untested COVID vaccine is loving your neighbor, uh, lobbying for fossil fuel regulations—that's loving your neighbor. Um, and in that, in case, in that case, the document actually said that it's also part of the Great Commission um, to push for climate change regulation. So that was fairly shocking. But I think what you see in all of these things is, at least to me, I look at churches and church leaders that are eager to find places that they can align with the culture, um, things that are maybe a little 
easier to hide behind than say being openly LGBT affirming, because that's really a, a Rubicon once you cross it. Everybody mm -hmm. knows, mm -hmm. at least if you're any kind of faithful Christian, that that is not uh, biblically faithful. So I think so this is safe. To... This is safe sex with the spirit of the age, right? Yes. When you I go rainbow, that that's bareback. Everybody knows right, you yeah. could get pregnant. You could get a disease. That's bareback. This is this is when the church slaps a condom on it and then conjugates with Jezebel. That's what you're describing, essentially. That is what I'm describing. Yeah. And so what I see is they go, well, look, environmentalism, we'll call it creation care. And we'll yeah. sort of baptize it with these tortured verses that don't really connect to this subject, but we'll go ahead with it. And we also so, saw that then also with COVID. And so it is a pattern and it's so stark now, I think with COVID because we saw it all so clearly and it, it woke a lot of people up and it shocked a lot of people. And now we're having a bit of a reckoning where people are going, how did that happen? How did our church leaders heap this burden of Phariseeism, of legalism on us. And it all happened in such a short window that I think it was more noticeable. Um, I mean, to such a degree that, I mean, you had Curtis Chang, who is a well-known pastor. He uh, co-hosts a podcast with David French called The Good Faith Podcast. And, and they said of these vaccines, which were originally way back in the line, derived from aborted fetal cells, they said, this is like Christ's redemption. Um, that yes, it was derived from abortion, but look, it has now been used for this good thing. And that is a mirror of Christ's redemptive work. And that, that was a pretty shocking analogy to make. Um, so all throughout, I just think you see this desire to go, how can we align with the respectable worldly organizations so that we don't have to sit over at this outcast Christian table in the school, so to speak? Um, so that to me is what we're seeing, and we're seeing it in so many areas that literally I could spend all day, every day, just covering that right now. Um, unfortunately, I have other things I have to do, but um, that's why I think it's important to pick out these topics where it's so stark and just go, look, let me lay it out for you. This is what they were doing. They went ahead and shut down their churches, which is in fact disobedience to the word mm -hmm. in order to claim that you needed to obey the state by not going to church. Um, and, and a friend of mine actually put it this way. It was like using the church as a mission field for the state. Mm. As now we have studies, JAMA published a study last week, one out of 500 small children that took the Pfizer mRNA vaccine had a hospital level adverse of, uh, effect to it. Uh, now we know that they knew all along they don't stop transmission and just lied and the politicians and their pimps and prostitutes for Pfizer lied for well over a year. Any of the, the NT rights or Phil Vischers or any of those kinds of people, they all come forward and said, Oh, you know, we got deceived. We were wrong. You know, uh, ask for any forgiveness, any repentance, any of that on the menu at all, or full steam ahead here with the, with the, with the mark of the beast. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because, um, one, we have seen a lot of terrible fallout from what happened uh, from these COVID mandates and regulations, uh, not just people losing their jobs, apartments, things like that in our nation. But um, I spoke to one of the Great Barrington Declaration uh, physicians and scientists who is at Stanford, uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, and he mm -hmm. told me, look, worldwide, we have seen starvation. We have seen sickness because of the... Um, 
lack of supplies getting to areas that needed it. So there has been a huge amount of not loving our neighbors done in the um, in order to say that we are loving our neighbors to align with the government. So that's one. And when you look at this, I go, what we have done to our witness in the name of supposedly protecting our witness is sort of horrifying. And, um, you know, now as we're having this accounting, I am starting to hear from those voices that you just mentioned, the NT rights, a lot of establishment voices going, you know, fog of war. It was a really confusing time. I think we all just need to have grace. And it's a little shocking because they're not owning that they did anything wrong. And that's what stops you short. I go, I, I think that there could be a moment of forgiveness, a moment of showing some grace if there was some accountability where they acknowledged if there was some we, repentance. We handled this yeah. badly. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not doing that. They're yeah. they're sort of saying, let's all have grace for each other, but they're not acknowledging, look here's how we screwed up, here's why we screwed up, and here's why you can trust us to continue to lead these organizations in the future because we understand now what happened and that's not gonna happen again. They don't wanna have that conversation, they're not apologizing, they're avoiding that conversation, so they're just sort of putting out this general call, let's pretend none of, none of that ever happened and let's just all um, move forward in a spirit of grace for mm. each other. Because that's what those who possess the basic instructions before leaving Earth should succumb to. Uh, the fog of war, indeed. Megan, great work. Man, I hope it's a while before we have to have you back. It's depressing, but you do phenomenal work. Thank you very it much for being with us. I love being I here. Know, so. I know, I know. But thank you for naming names. Someone needs to do it. Thank you, Megan. Thanks so much. You bet. Megan Basham, you can look at her outstanding work over at the Daily Wire. Um, basically the younger, prettier Daniel Horowitz. She's the prophetess of woe and lamentation. Every time we have her on, someone's getting called out, albeit more gently than Daniel will, but called out nevertheless. Uh, Megan brought to you by our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com in these unprecedented times. Bing. Make sure you dare not venture into the Let's Go Brandon real estate market without a real estate agent you can trust with a fully vetted track record of success. Where would such an agent be found? Well, we made it easy to find them. We created the website, the network called realestateagentsitrust.com. Just go there, uh, answer a few questions with some basic info, and then our team will contact you to make an introduction to one of our preferred agents whose record of full-time success has been fully vetted before we recommend them to you. Again, head over to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Thoughts on our conversation with Megan? You know, as she was talking, my mind kept going back to that message that Eric Metaxas gave around his uh, new book. The name is escaping me, but it's essentially what led to Bonhoeffer? Mm -hmm. How did you get Bonhoeffer? And talking about the state of the church in uh, prior to the Third Reich in Germany. Sick, sick, sick. Just a sick church. We're the same way as well. Obviously, there can be extremes when it comes to the church's relationship <laughs> with government that we don't want to go to when we're needlessly confrontational with government. This, if you, if you look in mass at the American, the Western church, we're on the complete, complete opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, sit, doggy. Uh, roll over, doggy. Uh, do as we say, doggy. Speak, speak, doggy. Speak. That's what we are. That's what the church is. I'm sorry. In, in mass, not every single last pocket, but in mass as, uh, as the larger institution. And I should say church in air quotes, because when you're doing that, you're not really much of a mm -hmm. church at all. 
Amen. Well said. All right, Theology Thursday is next. We begin our third and final book study this year. And we're going to take a look at the spirit of the age and the economy next. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, and of course, all of you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Take advantage of that by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter. Also on Instagram and TikTok, you can also find us on Trump's Truth Social over at Real Steve Dace. And then also um, get clips of the show, free to watch, free of any censorship, when you head over to rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Again, that's rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Those of you that are podcast listeners, thank you so much for being a key part in the ongoing growth of our audience. Please, if you've yet to do this, leave us a five-star review. Uh, hit subscribe or follow. Thanks to all of you that have done those things for us already. And if you haven't done them uh, and have a question that you'd like to have considered for our very next Ask Me Anything, simply embed that question into your five-star review, and it will go to the front of the line for consideration by Todd for our next Ask Me Anything, which right now is tentatively scheduled for Monday. So thanks to all of you that have done those things for us in our podcast already. You're a big reason why we're going to be signing a multi-year contract extension here with The Blaze because of your growth is one of the biggest reasons why that's the case. So thank you. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Fast Growing Trees. I know what you're thinking. I mean, isn't it a late year? It's almost Halloween. Isn't winter here? Except this actually is one of the best times of the year to get out your green thumb and our friends at Fast Growing Trees. They have a 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee. Find out why they have over 1 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers. They've got uh, such a huge catalog, thousands of plants, shrubs, trees. Uh, For all of your nursing and gardening needs, this is a great time of year to get out ahead of the winter and next planting season as well. Get 15% off right now, uh, 15% off when you go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve. At least check out their catalog before you head down to the local nursery and then track all that gunk into your car by buying, buying from them. At least see if, you know, they've got what you want, if it's, if it's, you know, the same price or less, and they'll ship it to you so that avoids the big mess of transporting it yourself, right? At least check it out. Nothing to lose. And you get 15% off if you decide to go ahead and partake when you go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve. Again, that's fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve. So we're going to begin uh, the third and final of our triumvirate of book studies this year on the program. And what we wanted to do this year with the uh, Theology Thursday segment is take a very practical look at the work of evil, or what we call on our show, Spirit Spirit of the Age. A very practical look at how it works in our culture. So we started the year by taking a look at at how it worked in one of the most ominous variations of it we have ever seen, COVID stamp. And we did that with Dr. Scott Atlas's book, his um, 
You know, his memoir of his time, which I'm sure to him seemed like a decade, but it was literally three months uh, inside the Trump White House on the coronavirus task force. We did that. We then spent the middle part of the year kind of looking at the spirit of the age more holistically through my book, Do What You Believe or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer, and, and how it operates systematically and how we can systematically oppose it. We are going to close the book or close the book study this year by looking at something in a way that we don't typically. I taught a lot of the years that you and I grew up you know, so-called social issues and fiscal issues were separated from one another, right? Yeah. I'm a fiscal conservative, but I'm a social liberal. I'm a libertarian. I don't care about social issues. As if there wasn't a moral component to our economics at all. Ask Adam Smith that. Correct. Um, And then we have learned in recent years that a lot of the same forces that want to debase your currency and economy are the same ones that want to debase your culture. Because debasing is what demons do. Debasing is a doctrine of demons. That's what they do. Jesus comes to give life and life abundantly. The other guys, they come to debase. That's what they do. Uh, The same impulse that says, um, we're going to turn your child into a drag queen. The exact same impulses that create that in a culture are the same ones, my buddy Chad, who's a, uh, a goat farmer here in Iowa, sent our, uh, our, my, uh, our buddy text chain that a bunch of us are on. Here's a text he sent us, almost like he knew we were about to do this segment. All right. Guys, John Deere lawnmowers, do we kind of need, you know, access to any John Deere equipment in a place like Iowa? Do they do, they, do, they do a little business here in our state? Yes. A tat, right? Not to mention, would you think a guy who farms goats might be interested in a John Deere sure. lawnmower, right? Because what do goats eat a lot of? Grass, right? They pasture. Okay. Last year, the John Deere lawnmower cost my buddy Chad six grand. Do you want to know what it's going to cost him this year? 24 grand. Six grand last year. 24 grand this year. Not a bug, it's a feature. Yeah. Same people. All the same people and all the same movements that wanted to ba- want to debase your culture, which is what we've talked about for most of this year, here at the end of the year, also want to debase your economy. Because debasement is a key cornerstone of the doctrine of demons. Back in 2020... With some free time I didn't want to have, I finally decided to do a little uh, research. I hadn't done a lot of thought on cryptocurrencies and things of that nature. And forgive me, man, even my RAM has only so much capacity. I just can't study everything. I'm sorry. I just can't. And frankly, I didn't have the discretionary income to get involved in I was, I I just want, I, I had to make sure I had enough of the fake money first before I started (laughs) buying other money. Right. Um, but several of you recommended a book. We featured the author of that book on this show. And the name of the book is thank God for Bitcoin, the creation, corruption, and redemption of money. 
This is the book we're going to end the year studying on Theology Thursday. Now, I want you guys to know that I did take a not insignificant amount of money from our royalties for Fauci and Bargain and made my first cryptocurrency investment with them. I did that at the very beginning, first week of January, the very beginning of this year. Let me check my account because it has has not been going well. Um, I have lost 49% of that investment. Now, I understand it's more than an investment. It's an alternative currency, right? But nobody buys something with the intent of it depreciating in value unless it's a car, right? But in general you don't want it to depreciate in value. My Bitcoin investment, I've lost 51% or 49% of that investment since the 1st of January. So over the course of the last 10 and a half months. So I don't come into this necessarily. I, I just tell you that. <clears throat> now I'm leaving my money in there. When I, I, I gave enough money that it would make a difference, but I also wouldn't like lose my mind if I lost it, okay? <clears throat> so I, I, I believe in the cause of what they want crypto to be. I'm invested in that cause, and we're going to get into that during the course of this book study, okay? So that's why I didn't pull my money out. It's also why I don't up update my wife frequently on how the crypto investment is going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but um, I'm not putting any more in because I don't think I get. I don't think I get to uh, slip that one past the goalie, if you know what I'm saying. All right, but that investment is I. I invested in a way of life, not necessarily in an ROI. So I put an amount of money in there that was not insignificant, but an amount that if I did lose it, wouldn't ruin my life and relationships and make me want to hurt people. Okay, so. I understand that it, this is more than an investment, but it is an investment too. But this is an attempt to create an alternative economy. Why would we need an alternative economy? It's very brief. I want to read the preface of the book to the audience, if you guys don't mind, and then we'll get into the first chapter. Because I, I think it'll set the table for you about why we may be the first show not hosted by Dave Ramsey you've ever heard that attempts to apply a biblical worldview to what is considered largely technocratic and materialistic issues like the economy and finance. It says money is deeply spiritual. After all, relationships are spiritual and money is a big part of relationships. Business relationships are defined by money. Family and personal relationships are often influenced by money. Money even relates strangers to each other through trade. Few relationships have no component of money because money plays a significant role in how we fit into society. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Love of money is the motive for all kinds of sin, murder, theft, deceit, and resentment. Money is used to enslave, which we call usury. By contrast, money is also a force for good. It enables charity, kindness, and expressions of love. It empowers, motivates, and rewards the creation of beneficial things. Money is the tool by which we can store up the fruits of our labor for rainier days. Money is vital and present in almost everything we do. Despite the spiritual significance of money, 
Many believers treat it as banal, lowbrow, worldly, or worse. This attitude is not consistent with what is taught in the Bible, which highlights the importance of having a righteous and wise approach to money. The Bible is full of monetary metaphors. Even the story of salvation that is woven throughout the entirety of the scriptures is described in the language of money, language such as, such as payment, debt, forgiveness, redemption. Because money is deeply relational, the spiritual repercussions of money are broad. Greed, envy, and lust for power are just some of the many negative consequences of its worship. While these sins are rightly condemned, little is discussed about the system that aggravates them. This book is about the monetary system that we live in and its moral and spiritual implications. The monetary system is to money what the food production system is to food. There is much going on behind the scenes that affects the final product. This isn't a book about personal finance and money management. What we are going to describe in these pages are the moral and spiritual implications of this process. In other words, we're going to focus on how the sausage gets made. The goal of this book is to unpack the basics about what money is, examine the trouble, rea troubling realities of our mo modern monetary system, and propose a morally sound and hopeful alternative to the economic water we swim in each day. The pervasive influence of money is consequential to who we are collectively, and the fruit of our monetary system is a reflection of our values. With them in mind, or with that in mind, here's how this book is organized. Chapters 1 and 2 answer the question, what is money? Chapter 1 describes money from a theological perspective. Specifically, we cover money's role in our lives and consequently the spiritual situation we find ourselves in. Chapter 2 describes money from a historical perspective. This chapter goes through the many innovations and subsequent moral failings of money, starting with uh, metal bullion to the modern-day debt-based fiat system. Chapters 3 and 4 describe the tools by which our modern monetary system has corrupted the rest of society. You're beginning to see why I chose this book. Because this takes a holistic approach to this issue. We're going to look at the history of how we got here to even thinking we need things like alternative cryptocurrencies and parallel economies. Chapter 3 analyzes inflation. We cover inflation and how it has destroyed many countries. Isn't that even more newsworthy than when we interviewed mm, this yes. guy about this book almost two years ago? Chapter 4 analyzes fiat money. We explain how fiat money works and how it is used as a tool for theft. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 examine the moral consequences of the current system. How our monetary system has corrupted political systems, focuses on individual consequences and the consequences on the church at large. Chapters 8 and 9 explore what we can do about these problems. Chapter 8 proposes Bitcoin as a morally superior alternative. It still remains to be seen if it is a fiscally superior alternative. Chapter 9 concludes that books with ways that Bitcoin redeems money politically, individually, and spiritually. The spiritual realm is where we find meaning. Our time, relationships, and beliefs are unseen, yet ever-present in, ever in our experience. The state of the world is the sum total of our relationships, and relationships are greatly shaped by our monetary system. By understanding the monetary system, we can work towards a better world. Thoughts on that, gentlemen, before we get into chapter one. Well, I was intrigued right out of the gate. Steve, at, at the beginning, right before the preface, the, what, the introduction, there's mm -hmm. a quote there. Could you, could you possibly read the quote at the very the beginning? Because I think that sums up very nicely the importance of what you just talked about. Uh, the foreword from John Maynard Keynes, yes. is that the quote? Yeah. 
Practical men who believe themselves to be quite exempt from any intellectual influence are usually the slaves of some defunct economist. John Maynard Keynes, who is, of course, one of the most influential economic minds to the modern Western left. And you need not believe in his specific applications of economics, nor this books on Bitcoin to appreciate the general principle there. We are a, because of, and this goes to what I talk about all the time about comfort. We are so driven by, to get to that place. And the thing that provides that comfort more than anything else in most people's minds is a doc, is a dollar sign. Mm-hmm. So that that has become our plumb line. And whether people who choose that or not, they th- they may think that is a moral neutral morally neutral gambit. But it has never been such. Our comfort has allowed us to think that again, this is the autopilot I talked about that we can't afford anymore. We need to be citizens about this and all other matters. When I mentioned Adam Smith before, he was a, ph- a philosopher broadly that ultimately ended up specializing in economic things. But mm-hmm. as theology was once uh, the mother of all the sciences, this is it's not meant to stand alone. It is it is it is ultimately a moral enterprise. I've also told you before that the root uh, economy that comes from the Greek economia, it means household. That you're, the, the entire roots of a functioning economy going back to uh, classical thinkers was way beyond a dollar sign and how much you make. It had to do with a family and how you support one another and how that is a bl- building block for a great civilization. So I am... I. I know nothing of Bitcoin, uh, far less than uh, Steve, and Steve's not setting the bar uh, particularly no. high uh, 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 on that front. But I do know that if you think you can have an amoral, not amoral, an amoral take on economics, you're dead wrong. And you've created an idol on, on this matter, just like we as a first world, very comfortable, possibly late state culture have created on so many other topics. That's very, it's a powerful point. The linkage of our complacency with our supposed wealth and would we have risen up much sooner if we didn't have right. the luxury of that complacency is, I mean, that is, is, is perfect linkage there. So Aaron, let's get into chapter one, understanding money. If you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, other than hell and salvation, Jesus directly during those Gospels directly preaches other than hell and salvation about topics specifically regarding money or that reference money more than any other topic other than hell and salvation itself. Uh, This chapter seeks to answer the question, understanding money, by asking, what is money? The definition here that I like that it gives, money is what enables us to take what we have and trade it for what we need. It is a very nice, a very succinct definition of, of money. And uh, going through this chapter, obviously, I think what, what sticks out to me is, is a little later on about the theft of money. But we'll, we'll begin, as you, as you just mentioned, with the definition of money. And the, the reality is, you remember a couple of months ago... 
as the kicker for the montage, there was a guy who was going around man on street interview asking young people basic questions like what country are you in or what what are the two oceans that uh, surround this country? What's the capital of the United States? Things like that. UCLA students couldn't couldn't name couldn't couldn't one of the answer. elite public universities in America couldn't answer some of these basic questions. All of them to a T could talk about the Kardashians. Mm. The reality is, the reality is the median IQ, the median depth of thinking, even in this country, is a lot closer to that. It might actually it might actually line up to that than it is even 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 pondering what is money or the definition of money. And it stuck out to me as well cuz you know I'm a homeschooled kid so I know I actually know who what an Adam Smith is. I've actually, you know, kind of studied this stuff a little bit before, but it hit me as well. How when was the last time I actually thought through this on a moral level? Each one of us get busy day in and day out. Each one of us get busy we have bills to pay, mouths to feed, yada, yada, yada. And we don't actually think, what is this thing that we're actually working for in order to actually do the, the final, you know, kind of turn the gears of life mm-hmm. here? We don't think about that. I think a lot of us are actually more guilty. And I'll just speak for myself, but I, I would say more of us are more guilty. If we, if we thought through this a little bit more in-depth like we do, in the, in the beginning of this chapter, what would our response be? Because when you stop thinking about money as a means to an end and start thinking about it as this is, representa- or this is representative of what I'm doing for, for what, what, I am, what I'm doing, how I'm spending my time these 70, 80 years that I get to be on this earth, am I spending this in a, in a, in a right way? And then furthermore... The people that I've entrusted to define this money, which we'll get into too, uh, if if they were doing this to any other thing, any other facet of life, if they were debasing any other facet of life, would my response be any different than it is right now? Mm-hmm. I think a key part of this chapter, guys, and it follows up with what you were just saying, Aaron, is the linkage of work and money. That. For most of us, our access to money comes via what? Work. Work. Okay. Uh, I did a panel on MSNBC many years ago uh, during the 2012 election. And there was a conversation about which of the presidential candidates, Romney or Obama, was going to do a better job of creating jobs. Okay. And every lefty on the panel had their points. They get around to me at the end. I don't have a lot of time left. I'm looking at the clock. I know we're about done here. So I just asked a very simple question. Raise your hand if any of you have ever gotten a job from a poor person. No hands went up. I said, same here. All my jobs came from rich people. So explain to me how we are going to create jobs by punitively punishing the very entities that have the means by which to actually create them. No one had an answer. We went to break, okay? Um, They're absolutely tied together for the vast majority of us. There's one entity in the world, only one, that work and money are not tethered together. Do you know what entity that is? 
government because it can print its own money. And I like what this says here, that theft equals stealing work. Someone comes into your home, takes your stuff, they have stolen your work because it was your work, that, that your work, and the worker is worth his hire, the scriptures say. It was your work that was rewarded that created that stuff. That's why it's a violation of the Eighth Commandment to steal. Work is hard. It makes something out of nothing. The proverbial fruits of labor. Work adds value, benefiting people, communities, and countries by creating new goods and services that improve people's lives. Work that adds value should get rewarded. Theft should be punished because it destroys value. Theft does damage to the glory of God's image that we bear, and it is therefore dehumanizing and immoral. We have an entire economic political message in this country based on theft. Someone has something that I want and more than me. They could have only acquired it is if they cheated or they have some historical advantage that I do not have, not because they've actually earned it. And therefore I am entitled to some of what they have made. And I need this powerful entity known as government to go and steal and take it from me. That sounds like a pretty moral message to me. Doesn't it to you? The idea that we're going to, that, that these things, that economics is really just dueling theories of Smith and Keynes and Milton Friedman. No. Our economics are an application of our moral value system or what we value morally. Thoughts on that? Well, it goes, all, that, that point you just made goes all the way to the garden. The only reason we have to work at all, I mean, making this theological, you get to go all the way. The only reason we work at all is because we're fallen. Correct. We're toiling. That's supposed to humble us. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to humble us on both sides. The worker and the person making the hire. And therefore, neither one is just uh, is the man or an automaton that you treat poorly. You redeem the time together. So if you are humbled... That relationship is one that uh, is potentially, before we even get to talking about a Bitcoin, that relation is potentially something uh, redemptive. But it, 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 it's not by definition, this is where we talked about it both in terms of uh, democracy and uh, from uh, Churchill, and I, I applied it to capitalism. Capitalism is the uh, worst form of, uh, of economy, except for all the rest of them. Mm-hmm. You know, now, this is... Ultimately, in and of themselves, you think you're saying something smart by saying they are amoral. You are, you are absolutely, if you try to do that, you are, if not you, your children, you are ultimately indebting them to failure because immorality will ultimately come into that view. It is meant to be God ordered. But uh, I think it's an important thing to say that work ultimately is it's supposed to humble us, all of us, no matter how rich we are or how poor we are, uh, we're all victims in this because of the fall. Aaron. No, that is a that is a fantastic point, Todd. And and moving on further into uh, into what the book says about the theft of money, it sh- it should not surprise us. It we're feeling it acutely now. But the fiat money system, the fiat money system that we have right now, where basically the government, one, prints its own money, so thereby thereby devaluing the money that is in your bank account or in your pocket right now, that's theft. They can do that because 
their government and they get to. And uh, government is made up of just a perfect um, uh, people who, you know, just defy, uh, just defy human nature. No, it's made up of, of fallen human beings. And so, of course, they're going to screw up money if you give them that power. Um, there's, there's that. That's always been around. That's always been immoral my entire life. We're just feeling it especially acutely now because of what we've decided to do in the last few years, which is print trillions upon trillions upon trillions of mm-hmm, dollars. Mm-hmm. And we're now paying for that. Because we just thought, going back to Todd's comments, we just thought in our largesse, in our comfort, and really in our own egos that we could press pause on the economy. You cannot do that. Correct. That in and of itself is immoral. And then just put so a bunch of money to people and give it to them to not work. So now that we're feeling the acute, acute symptoms of a fiat money system, let's take a bigger look. Let's take a bigger picture look. Is it any surprise? Should it be any surprise? The answer is no. It should not be any surprise that a country so so given over to the welfare state, which is another form of stealing work, stealing money, would then just say, um, yeah, we can just print trillions of dollars and not expect anything to change. It should not come as a surprise that someday we would be experiencing $6,000 for a lawnmower last year, $24,000 this year. That is immoral. It's not just, oh, man, that sucks. Economy is so bad. No, it's flipping immoral. And you know what pisses me off about myself again? Let's just, let's, let's, let's just uh, uh, turn this into a griping session. I say that about our federal tax system every single April. What did I tell you the last two years? It's immoral, Steve. It's immoral. Do I think about it the rest of the year? Do most of us? No. 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 Treason never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none will dare call it treason. More in a moment. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, talking about our friends over at Eden Pure Air Purifiers with their proven oxy technology. It helps destroy viruses, odors, molds, musky smells, so much more. I've gotten numerous positive reviews in the inbox on behalf of this partner. People that have seen great results by taking advantage of our offer and putting it to work in their homes, offices, uh, etc. We put it to work in our own home. I mean, I tried it in my home before I recommended that you try it in yours. It's a great product. Uh, it's also filterless. So you won't have to be replacing and buying filters out of your own pocket uh, for the rest of the time after you make the purchase. And right now, you can get their three-pack for under 200 bucks with free shipping when you use the code STEVE3 at EdenPureDeals.com, Eden like Garden of Eden. When you use the discount code STEVE3 at EdenPureDeals.com, get their three-pack for under 200 bucks. EdenPureDeals.com, plus free shipping with the promo code Steve3. I hope you guys saw why I chose this book to have an economic conversation. Even if you're not into crypto, even if you don't necessarily buy that it's everything that it wants to be or claims to be. And I will confess, after losing 49% of my investment in less than a year, I'm not as uh, enthusiastic about it as I originally was. 
But I love the approach that this book takes in addressing the larger holistic moral issues with our monetary policy and economy. And then at the end, you can decide whether you think its alternative solution is the right one or not. But it's going to be provide us a vehicle to have a lot of necessary conversations, guys, before we even get to that specific application, right? Yeah. I mean, church is always the thing we... We put over there and we've carved in the the size of the world that somehow does not apply to that gets larger and larger and larger and we get more and more and more confused about the fundamentals so i i absolutely agree after getting into this book for a, a couple chapters that this is the conversation about bitcoin is almost an asterisk to the conversation we're going to be having and i i don't mm-hmm. think the, yeah. the writers would be threatened at all no, by me saying that. no that's why they took this approach yeah. I, real quick before we get to three non-political questions, I think I may have just seen, courtesy of you, the greatest tweet in the history of Twitter. I have to read this. What did I do? If you have a vagina oh, yes. and want to have sex with someone with a vagina, you are not a gay man. How on earth have we gotten to the point when the former gay rights movement is now trying to abolish homosexuality? That is pioneer rainbow jihadist Andrew Sullivan. Going off on trans madness. And what did I tell him? Just today. Oh, yeah, your response, uh, because what you believe is a cancer. That's how, yes. That that might be the greatest tweet of all time. It, it's at least on the list. Here's three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. Three hopefully good non-political questions. But believe it or not, once more, I was actually prepared for, and had even prepared before the start of the show. Oh, Question wow. number one. Yeah, that's how prepared I was this week. Question number one. What business that you've been to before do you think is most likely a front for money laundering? And I will start first if okay. you need some help. Yeah, go ahead. Now, with my luck, probably the proprietor and founder of this establishment is like a huge fan of our show, and I'm going to disparage this business <laughs> right in front of uh, their ears. Some salesman in Dallas is about to curse you. Well, or, I guess we won't be calling them. Or, yeah. or, uh, or somebody who works in corporate, and it's like a, some great corporate atmosphere and blah, 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 blah. There is a smaller chain of convenience stores here in central Iowa, and I don't know how far they reach that I believe is a front for money laundering. And let me set this up and let me, okay, Des Moines in the upper Midwest in particular is like a mecca of immaculate convenience stores, like gas stations. These are not 7-Elevens, nothing against 7-Elevens, but these are not 7-Elevens. Anymore, you go to a Quick Star, you go to a hy gas station, you go to uh, Come and Go, you go to Casey's. Those are four of the major ones here, uh, two of which are, are are headquartered here in the Des Moines. Uh, no, actually, three of those Quick four. Trip. Uh, Quick Trip as well. Yeah, that's headquartered in Kansas City. Uh, you can get fresh, fresh food. You can get warm food, a wide variety of food. Hy-Vee Gas is probably you can the have best. date night there. 
You could, actually, in some come and goes. You don't want to be married anymore. <laughs> yeah. In some come and goes, they actually have seating areas. So these so these are really high. The standard for upper Midwesterners and their gas stations, really, really high. There's one chain, though. I don't understand why it exists here with all of that competition. But we are about to find out someone we will never call upon for our marketing. It's called get and go. Yeah. You knew what I was going to say, didn't you? Yeah. I don't understand why they exist, if not for a front for a money laundering. Every last one of them. They're run down. No one's ever there. Exactly. Yeah. How do they The one that was close to my house in Norwalk. The one that's so close. Just got armed. Like all of them have been the victims of armed robberies. I I don't understand its existence. I don't understand how it makes money. Sometimes it has sometimes it has marginally lower gas prices than than the larger uh, gas stations. But so that's my nomination. It's a theory I've been working on, as you can see, for a long time. Stacey Abrams, Todd. College football NIL collectives. That those both of those answers were very disappointing. Question number two. <laughs> Before you get me get to question number two, did we cause you some pain? No. Oh, I was going to suggest if we did that you should try our friends over at Omega XL because oh, I was looking shoot. for a terrible segue. Man, I really let you down there, didn't yes, I? Yes, you did. Let's yeah. try it again. Did we cause you some pain there, Aaron? Ow. That's why you want to talk to our friends at Omega XL, Aaron. Okay. <laughs> this whole segment. <laughs> Todd, does this was that a seamless, natural transition, do you think? Was there anything that didn't come across as contrived at all, did it? No. No? No. No, I mean, it just naturally flowed right into the conversation in all seriousness though this is a phenomenal product i have been using it every day for the last few years i take it with me wherever i go it is the all-natural anti-inflammatory to battle inflammation in your joints from your neck down to your feet and all points in between uh your back your hips your legs that's where a lot of that uh, lingering soreness and stiffness and achiness comes from it's likely unless it's a clinical condition it's likely a chronic condition with too much inflammation in the body so go get our friends at omega xl like i did and do something about it buy one get one free today when you go to omega xl.com slash steve omega xl.com slash steve or you can call them at 800-844-4888 all right question number two if you like that question you're gonna love this one especially steve what women's team sport, excluding the Arkansas Razorbacks women's soccer team, Todd, what women's team sport is best and why? Well, I would say basketball. Yeah. Um, college basketball yeah, or women's college, women's college basketball. They yeah. are very skilled. See, that's the, that's going to be that's my answer as well. If I can bust in here, too. Yeah. I think the upper echelons of talent in uh, in in women's college basketball are far more technically proficient than the upper echelons of talent in in college basketball in the men's league. Yeah, especially when we come to shot making, I would agree. Yeah, yep. I completely agree. And finishing. Yep. No, they have to be because athletically Correct. they they, That's what I was they can't do the yep. same things that the guys can do, right? But uh uh it's it's an aesthetically pleasing game to watch. They play well together. There's a lot of energy. Um I would also say and I used to cover it professionally in my sports writing days, but uh, college softball is a ton of fun too. That's also for a lot of the same reasons, a good watch. And you know, you get into June, and if you're looking for something uh, to you know give you a sports fix, like college softball and the NCAA tournament, uh, the College World Series. So I, I would say those two for sure. Uh, women's volleyball. 
It, it, and that 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 is really growing in popularity. Like the Big Ten this year, I think did a volleyball media day for like yeah, the first did. time mm-hmm. because yeah. they've got. I think seven or eight teams in the Big Ten are in the the top twenty five. Mm-hmm. Last year, the final was Wisconsin against Nebraska. Wisconsin won. Nebraska Nebraska has been a perennial uh, top five program for a very very long time. It's and and when I moved to Iowa from uh, Wisconsin, I I remember you know some girls who played volleyball. I don't remember it being a big thing here in Iowa. Girls volleyball is an incredible thing. And when I covered it more than 20 years ago, really highly skilled. And now at the Big Ten level, I mean, watching, you you think you've played sand volleyball before and you, like, understand volleyball. You have you have no idea. I mean, the complexity of how they know all the time of where to go, where the, where the, the pass is going to go, the design plays, things like that, it's really a cool sport. That's a good call, too. I agree. You know one of the things I like about those sports, too? For the most part, it's actual women. <laughs> a comment that could only be made in all seriousness in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You ready for question three? You bet. What job interview or what job interviewer would you have pooped bricks during if you were being interviewed for a job with that person? Um, oh, that's a great question. You're asking... Would have been like nervous to Terrified go in an interview. To yeah. interview for yeah. a job. You mean like an actual job interview that someone we interviewed with or wanted to get a job we wanted to get? Maybe? No, just any job whatsoever. So I'll I'll start again just to give you an example. Okay. The number of stories I hear about Steve Jobs, I I would have not. I. Hmm. Nice to meet you. I'm ejecting now. I he's just he's kind of a psychopath actually. He's a little bit of a sociopath. Um. Very, very, very intimidating. I mean, just the the just the ability to immediately grab you by your you know what, and then squeeze you like an orange. The story, at least the stories that I've heard, anyway, uh, that would be very intimidating. I'm going to say personal assistant to Bob Feller. Oh, Bob, <laughs> Bob Feller is the last man. The great Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the great athletes ever from the state of Iowa. He is the last man that truly intimidated me. I mean, he cut you quick, okay? And cared not at all. And, you know, he'd come on and say things on my sports show. You know, one time he went on a rant about how he did more for Negro ball players. He uses that term than Jackie Robinson did, who he went to the Hall of Fame with. Because I'm like, how much of an honor was it to go into the Hall of Fame with Jackie Robinson? Well, I did more for the Negro players than he did. I mean, we just went on a rant. I'm like, uh, do I interject? You do not interject and stop Bob Feller. He tells you when he is done. Okay. I mean, Bob Feller made me, one of the scariest moments of my career is I taped had to tape an interview with him once. And it was the first time I ever pre-taped an interview in my career and I forgot to hit record and I didn't realize it until after the interview was over. And this was a pretty in-depth interview and I had to decide, do I just not do the interview and then get in trouble with my bosses? Do I call them back and tell them? You know, what's the scarier proposition? And so I decided to call him, Mr. Feller, sir, I'm very sorry, but uh, I'm new and I forgot to hit record. And I got to tell you, this was the reaction. 
it was like that for like five minutes. Um, and then finally I said, okay. And we did it again. All right. But a couple of years later, out of nowhere, he surprised me with an autographed baseball plaque from him for no reason. I have it still hanging up on one of the shelves in my man cave. And I got to tell you that I really felt like, you know, I'm a man now. <laughs> that's, that's how much, that's how much Bob Feller scared the bleep out of me back in the day. So personal assistant to Bob Feller, that's the job interview that I would be uh, squeezing a butt cheek over that one. Well, this most scared, and not because of the people in front of me, but because of how bad I wanted it. Uh, I, when uh, I went to umpire school, and after you're all done, uh, you had to have a, kind of a finishing interview about uh, how serious you are, because they you, you you can go as a dream camp or anything like that. I was one of seventy five students. Uh, that uh, January and February. And so they wanted to know, do we even waste our time picking you because we're going to give you a job? Do you want? And so, yeah, I wanted it badly. So just thinking, uh, over parsing every thought, wondering if you're coming across as composed with what you're supposed to come across as, as an umpire. Yeah, I was, I was pretty scared during that interview. All right, before we get out of here, a reminder, you know, you never know what's the next life-saving safe medication they might try to ban because they're trying to kill you. You know, like they did with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Who knows? The next time it could be even more venerable medications like amoxicillin, penicillin, uh, doxycycline. That's why you want to get the Jace case from our friends over at Jace Medical. J-A-S-E, J as in Jeff, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. It takes just a few minutes to fill out their questionnaire, and then the medications are dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. And if you enter my code at checkout, DACE10, you'll get an additional 10% off as well. 10% off with DACE10 so that you have peace of mind just like you do with food and other things to make sure we have a backup plan. Have you thought about that when it comes to medicine? especially after what they tried to do to discredit safe and effective medicines during COVID. Take advantage of this right now. JaceMedical.com, J-A-S-E. JaceMedical.com and use the offer code DACE10 to get an additional 10% off. Gentlemen, any final thoughts on the show today? Well, uh, yeah, don't forget about uh, the interview with uh, Megan Basham and what's become of the church on a host of issues uh wise serpents uh when you uh hear about uh, what your pastors or the muckety mucks uh within your church whoever has the pastor's ear are talking about because these days oftentimes uh they're speaking with forked tongue i want to go back to the start of the show as well and my persistence perennial and all of us on the show just dissatisfaction and uh just overall overall jadedness at the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. This midterm, though, if it goes the way that Steve is predicting and the way it looks like it actually is is going, which is close to what he's predicting, uh, I think it's a good I think it's a good reminder for people like me who is just like, well, what are the Republicans going to do like it, uh, to do with it? And people in our audience that I, I know you're thinking the same thing. When things are this obviously broken and evil and corrupt there's still there's still some there there 
when in mass a whole heck of a lot of people stand up and say, no, we don't mm-hmm. like this. We don't like this. That's a good thing. Remember that in the next couple of weeks. Very well said. Todd, you've got tomorrow off. Enjoy the long weekend. Thank you. We're back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317.